Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is Dick Kahn, author of the DMT in my Occult Mind book series. In those texts, Dick documents his personal research into the effects of using the drug dimethyltryptamine, which is a powerful hallucinogen and a key component in ayahuasca, a drink used by several indigenous tribal cultures in South America as part of their spiritual practices. It is often referred to as the spirit molecule. Dick's books also detail the encounters that he had while taking DMT with a variety of unusual entities, which inhabited the occult reality that his use of the drug enabled him to experience and ponder on their nature. There are fascinating insight into one person's occult studies and this subject matter made for a really great interview. Enjoy! Dick, welcome to the podcast. Uh, great to be here, Rick. Thank you. Hi, ah, you're very welcome. I, I really enjoyed your book. To start off with, just tell us a little bit about DMT and what prompted you to start your experiments with it. Uh, well, DMT is a, it's a very... A powerful, potent mind manifesting substance. It's uh, it's throughout uh, hidden throughout nature. Um, it's uh, it's class A, so it's highly illegal as one would expect. And what prompted me to get involved with it was chancing upon the spirit molecule documentary while I was going through a phase of researching research chemicals. And uh, yeah, saw that documentary and. It, it just gave me goosebumps. It just it, it took me back to my childhood where I'd had some unusual spiritual experiences and uh, I just knew I had to try it and I tried it and uh, as much as you can, I, I fell in love with it. Right, yeah. Um, it's interesting. You begin the book talking about some of those childhood experiences that you had. Are you right to just talk about those a little bit? Yeah, sure. Um, I suppose probably the most significant thing as, as it relates to my experiences with DMT is the I, I've come to call it now spiritual tinnitus the it's an innate ever-present uh, high-pitched ringing sound in my head it's been there it's there now it's been there ever since I was a little child it, it was far more pronounced and obvious when I was a child more so when I was alone in bed at night time and yeah I mean to bring it up to date when I first smoked DMT you know, the, the immediate response was that sound in my head that had been such a, a significant aspect of my early childhood. It just, it was like the volume had been turned up significantly. And I, 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 I mean, that's one of the reasons I fell in love with it. You know, that, that sound had been, it's something I never spoke to about with anybody. And this substance just seemed strongly related to whatever that sound was. So, um, yeah, I mean, that was one of the, main experiences other experiences were and again I, I attribute these experiences to that sound um classic out-of-body experiences manifested by uh, fighting sleep as a young child you know try to silly that sounds a bit stupid but trying to be awake at the time when you fall asleep just to see what happens and as a consequence of that yeah classic out-of-body experiences and a really unusual one that's it's on my mind quite a bit recently is is waking up one morning thinking it was christmas morning being convinced it was christmas morning and there would be 
presents downstairs and I was only a young child and opened the bedroom curtains and at the foot of the garden was, I can only describe it as a sunshine. You know, it was like a sun. And I mean, it was just glorious and bright and and I was transfixed and I, I couldn't call out for my mum. I was just mesmerised by it. And when I did tear myself away and, and went to get my mum and said, come on, look at this. And obviously when she came, it had gone and it turned out it wasn't Christmas. It was just, you know, it's a red hot summer. So, uh, yeah, it's kind of like, I, I, I you know, I, I would say that was in its own way a DMT experience. Whatever entity from occult nature had, had presented itself in that manner, I think it had done so because I seem to have this naturally high-pitched inner spiritual tinnitus. I'm not saying it makes me a more spiritual person. I'm not saying anything like that, just a regular guy, but... I don't know. That, if nobody's ever asked me, Rick, what was your favourite DMT experience? And I think if they did, I'd probably hack back to that childhood experience. All right. Well, that would have been a great question for, for this interview, I suppose. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So when you decided to experiment with DMT, what did you have to do in order to sort of ensure that it was safe in a way? So what research did you do prior to beginning administering and how how did you administer it a good question so uh, before obtaining the dmt i'd after watching the spirit molecule i did months and months of online research i would guesstimate about eight months as reading trip reports especially and you know the science of dmt and, and reading as much as i could about it and then to obtain the DMT, you know, at the time of watching the spirit molecule, I didn't even know you, you could smoke it. And, you know, I was never up for injecting substances, but thankfully when I learned you could smoke it and you could buy the bark and extract it yourself, then that's that's what I progressed to after about, I'd, I'd actually bought the bark and it, it's, it was just, just in my cupboard for months and months. And then when I felt the time was right, I said, okay, well, let's extract it and uh, manage to, to do that. And uh, yeah, first first attempt, I had my wife oversee me because I'd, I'd read, you know, it was common for people to have a, a trip sitter. So yeah, my wife watched over me. Um, I, 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 I smoked it in a makeshift pipe like, like a teenager might do with some pot, you know, old aluminium drinks can and punch some pierce some holes in it and you know it's it was very Heath Robinson I think the phrase is uh, but yeah I managed to get a, a lung full of of smoke and vapor and wow I mean I mean you know it wasn't a breakthrough dose but wow it's I mean it was very fresh DMT and wow it's it's potency and my wife said that so you've tried it now leave it alone and I was like no way that is remarkable and yeah, and from then on, I uh, I didn't really have my wife tripsies, and I've always kind of preferred to be on my own when I smoke it. Yeah, I've noticed in some of the entries that you have that like your wife will be downstairs, and you and one thing as well is that um, you're yeah you you're taking this in a in an urban area where you, where you live, and I I imagine that a lot of people when they think about taking dmt it's best known as being consumed in ayahuasca it's a very much connected to you know tribes in in the amazon jungle for example so mm. do you feel like where you were when you took it influenced your experiences nice question 
Yes and no. So what I would say is in terms of where I took it influence in my experiences, a favoured spot was uh, in the UK, we, we call it the landing, the area at the top of the stairs, you know, and, and that was my favoured area. It was a very small area, you know, it's, it's this sort of top of the stairs leading to the bedrooms and the bathroom and I would lay down there and smoke it. And I, and I find reliably that, and I assume it was because of the small dimensions of the area, 25 milligrams in fresh DMT in three totes was easily enough to, to break me through. Um, in the bedroom, felt you needed a little bit more and outside, you certainly need more to, to get a breakthrough dose. But yeah, to to an extent, um, I mean, it's very different. It's very different to ayahuasca in that it's very, it's very quick, it's very intense, and you're back to baseline very quickly. So that suited my my family my situation as a family man you know right yeah so okay so let's get to into what you're experiencing when you took dmt are you right to just kind of talk about some of the experiences that you had and more specifically the the entities that you met yeah um so when i first started i i think the first 50 experiences or so i, I didn't write anything down but you know, the first experience was with my wife and I just experienced its its power and its potency. And then a second experience, I think it's about 15 milligrams and I was in uh, the bedroom and smoked it and laid down and, you know, credible energy manifests. And within seconds I was, you know, I was looking up at the ceiling in the room and there was a, it was like an old cinemagraphic video reel film reel and it was me my wife and my, my two boys and we we're holding hands and we were walking and it was just i mean it was clear as day and it was just so beautiful and i mean you know for first genuine dmt experience there was nothing there that would say to me you know stay away quite quite the contrary it was everything was saying let's go and i i was smoking it quite regular after that so uh yeah i took to smoking it in the landing and you know i'd, I'd read that people were going to another realm another world and it, yeah it certainly looks that way you, you smoke it and then within seconds you are in a, a space and it's hyper vivid hyper defined it looks more real than real life there are human-like entities moving about there are things that you just you just can't I can't describe they're just impossible you know it, it takes your astonishment to another level there's no way I could write down what I saw because I just it's just it's too much I don't know so let's let's by way of example so a typical or a, a good example would be smoke it in the landing uh, lay back within seconds it looks like I'm in another realm and in this realm there's um there's a circus master, you know, it, it looks like the, the the motif guy from Monopoly with the moustache and the sort of <laughs> tailored jacket. And yeah, and he was showing me these impossible things, you know, it's right in front of me. And, and it, oh, oh, I was like, and he knew he could sense my astonishment. And then he would move from one side to the other side and not verbally, but psychically was kind of saying it was very easy to intuit. It was saying, oh, you like that, do you? See this. And it just took my astonishment to another level. And then he was like, oh, I see you like that. Now see this. And it got to the point, Rick, where 
my my astonishment it was it was paining me and i had to look away you know it just it was overwhelming i had to look away and yeah you know lots of experiences like that and and even at that point i i had no idea what was going on for for what i knew the ringmaster was the entity the human-like beings that i was seeing they were the entities the realm i was in i had no idea where it was but after continuing and continuing i was pretty certain that i was still in my landing i was still in the house and i was still on the landing and it's through i'm gonna say it's through taking smaller doses frequently and, and and saying like it's like trying to get to saying like if that's hyperspace how do i get halfway there where's the threshold between not being in that realm and being in that realm so messing about with low doses was really informative so uh, i smoked i think it was two or three milligram very little happened smoked five milligram very little happened but i could sense a presence and then i smoked seven or eight milligram i was like i could sense something was there but it feels like i've peed my pants <laughs> and it's real honestly and it's like I'm convinced and I'm putting my hand down my pants and I'm like, well, it's dry, but it feels like I've pissed my pants. And then you sort of sense, you can sense it really powerfully. Something's laughing at me. Something's laughing at me. And that kind of helped me then to appreciate that there's something here that's interacting with me. These awesome visions, these realms, these human-like entities I'm seeing, it, it's somehow been presented to me or imposed upon me and and you know to, to bring my re my research up to date or my conclusions up to date what i'm arguing is that the human-like entity or the human-like entities that's not the entity the entity entity is a it's a, a discarnate or a decarnate mind from hidden nature hmm. that's powerfully imposing upon the user in this realm and manifesting I guess its own imagination, its, its imaginative fancies, or whatever, upon the use and the user's heightened perception, and for sure, it looks like you've gone somewhere else. And and there are there are times when the experience, when it concludes, it, it almost spits you out. You know, you're engulfed within the mind of a very powerful entity from hidden nature, and sometimes it concludes so rapidly and powerfully, you feel like you've been spat out of something. It's quite remarkable. I can imagine. That's interesting. Your your ideas about this, because it, it it does feel like if you're encountering human like entities, that's perhaps for your benefit. So you have something that you, is relatively recognisable, because it could because it could be, you know, scary if it's not. And so it's almost like this discarnate mind that you're describing is using like an avatars to sort of engage with you. I think that's a really insightful way of explaining it and i think it's valid and i also think to build on that that's why you see things like jesters and clowns you know they're it, it's it's kind of inviting you know it's like why would you not want to go back to that and the paradox is with dmt i'm obviously speaking personally i, I found the vast majority of my experiences have been wonderful highly entertaining um, i've laughed like i never thought i would laugh <laughs> or could ever laugh but paradoxically when you go to smoke it again you know oh my god it's like walking to your own funeral you know it's terribly scary 
Right. Can you just explain that a bit more? Yeah, I think it's... Um, see, the thing is, when leave entities aside, the, the first thing that happens when you smoke DMT, what I'm saying is that that the reaction in your brain or the pineal region of your brain, it, it seems to unlock something. And this psycho-spiritual substance or mind stuff or consciousness from within you, it expands bubble-like very powerfully and very rapidly. And the evidence of that is, and the, you know, is, is the room can look crystal clear. Like, you know, it's like Terence McKenna said, it's like the air has been pulled out of the room and it, it, it is, the room looks pristine, clean and in crystal clear fashion. And you sweep your hand in front of you and, you know, there's a long line of tracer trails of, of your hand. And I contend that that's because you have changed your setting by massively amplifying some, I don't know, esoteric occult aspect of yourself. You know, mm. it expands powerfully. And then over the space of half an hour, an hour, it slowly contracts back to a baseline level. But so that that really does change your setting. And then you get the entity interaction. The entity seems to recognize that signal within its own realm, rapidly uh, manifests in your setting and, and within seconds it's imposed upon you and you don't know where you are. Now, I would say that at some level in our subconscious mind, uh, that must be, there's, there's a sort of defense mechanism. There's something that said, it's like your ego saying, don't do it. Don't, don't smoke DMT. It's too scary. It's too scary. And you kind of know and you think it is, but let's do it because it might be good. It's like your spiritual self is kind of like to a, a degree, it's overriding your ego. And I think, you know, I think the changes that I've experienced in myself, yeah, from, from the experience itself, but I think from consciously sort of pushing the voice of my ego down and saying, look, I know it's scary. I'm scared too, but we're going to do this. And I think a lot of the changes that I've experienced have come from that sort of personal battle with my ego to put myself in a position where, despite my ego screaming, I'm going to pick up that pipe and hit it three times. Right, yeah. So in your experiences, did you journey in these places or was it more that you were watching things happen around you? So in the landing watching things happen around me in the bedroom watching things happen around me or having things happen within me which maybe we'll get to later but then outside yeah i've experienced uh and, and in the bedroom i've experienced motion so let's take an example in the bedroom uh, i smoke it and within seconds it it looks like i'm in a a, a futuristic place uh, it's diff difficult to describe but it's very evident that i'm on a conveyor belt and this sense of motion it's it's without question I, I, you know I, there is a sense of motion and again from pursuing experience after experience you kind of realize that it's a wonderful illusion that the entity is able to uh, impose upon you by you know beneath your lane body it's creating this rippling effect and it honestly it feels like you're moving and similarly outside i've smoked it and it 
I felt like I'm just slowly gliding over the garden. It's beautiful. It's so smooth. It's like, it's like flying, you know, on your back. But again, mm. it's 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 a really wonderful machination. It's an illusion that the these powerful entities are able to impose just by uh, how should we say by by moving, by changing, by um, working the volume of their mind, their body of mind in in such a manner beneath you that it genuinely feels like you're moving. So when people say, you know, I I, I felt like I was flying upwards yeah I've, I've experienced that too i think i think i think we have to give these entities due respect their their power and their ability to impose the illusion of movement oh it's such a great trick but it is a trick you know i'm i i, I think my contention that the entity is is creating that illusion of movement is more reasonable than saying yeah i was in a futuristic place i know nowhere and i was on a conveyor belt i mean you know sounds wonderful but really hmm. so how would you say it compares to something like a dream <gasps> you're asking all the good questions rick that right i um i, I don't know I, I guess i'm gonna have to say that since smoking DMT, I, I've kept a dream journal. Now, this is not every night by chance, by far. Uh, I think I've probably got in, in, what, three, four years, maybe 15, 20 entries. But it seems to me that there are times when I have a dream and it's just like a DMT experience, you know, and, and, and I feel that something's imposing the experience upon me, whereas, you know, the majority of my dreams, it's just my own mind working under its own steam but there are some dreams you think something's interacted with me there and they're very similar so yeah I, th I think it comes back to those those entities of occult nature who are they what are they what is their connection to us you know when and why do they may they impose upon us in in, in dreams and there's there's dreams my wife shared with me she's oh i had such a bizarre dream and she tells me about it i'll say sounds like something's been mixing it up in your head for entertainment <laughs> you know it's yeah i mean yeah. I, I go on no yeah you go ahead yeah i, I mean I, i'd not i've I've still not put this in the journal. I mean, I think over a year's gone by, I've not committed anything to the dream journal. And then last week I had this dream and I was in this skyscraper and it was like all open plan at the top and it was daylight and I could see outside. And this witch was like flying around on a broom. And I went to the window and I got a chance to see her really closely. And as soon as I saw her, she just vanished, just disappeared. And I knew she's behind me and i turn around and she's behind me and now she's wearing this pink negligee thing like feathers <laughs> around her and i and i go up and she had such unusual looks i mean it was like beautiful ugly and like you know a man in a dream alone with a woman i'm like yeah she's not that bad you know i, I might be interested <laughs> and anyway I, I i ended up putting my hand where i thought it was a neck and i ended up grabbing it was like a vertebrae dry vertebrae there was no flesh or bone or anything there and then her teeth were like coming out and it, oh I, I woke up screaming wow, I, yeah. I, think, I, I think something was mixing it up in my mind for its own entertainment 
Yeah, I mean, I love the idea that some cultures have of small dreams and big dreams. So small oh. dreams are sort of like your mind doing its admin for the day. Mm. But then big dreams are ones where you go a bit deeper. Something it's a, it's mm. a more of an intense experience, and you're you're engaging with something like you describe. But that's mm. um, that what you describe. It, it makes me think of something like like a David Lynch film or, oh, or Twin Peaks yes. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, you know, there were many times as a child where I'd be asleep in bed and I could feel something pushing upon me, like outside of me. And I knew, I thought, if it succeeds, I'm, I'm going to have a bad dream. And there were times when it did succeed and I did have a bad dream. And there were other times where I, I would fight to wake up and did wake mm. up and didn't have a bad dream or, you know, ended up being so tired I went back to sleep and then was too tight to fight it and still had the bad dream. And again, it feels like something was imposing upon my young mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and as well, I've had dreams where I've realised I'm dreaming in the dream and sort of start mm. to panic and I want to wake up. And so sometimes I wish mm. I had more. I didn't panic and could sort of stay in it that way and, and mm. dream lucidly. But yeah. So with these experiences, how often were you having them? Were you taking DMT every day? I think, you know, there's an article out there somewhere. It says uh, smoked it 600 times in, in three years. And, and that's true. It's actually more than that. You know, it's more like 650. But, you know, it's not like I was chasing a number. So there were times where I'd smoke it two or three times in a day. There'd be times where I smoke it one day after another day after another day. But the times when I, I'd had an experience that was so overwhelming, I would leave it alone for uh, several days, you know, try and compute and integrate what had happened. And look, I'm, I'm not here saying every time I smoked it was a breakthrough. There were times I smoked it intended to break through and didn't break through. And there were times I was just messing about with it and got far more than I bargained for from a a small dose, you know. I mean, I think, you know, some people are fixated on doses or or how many times you've smoked it. But I think they're missing other pertinent questions. And I think if you're smoking it regularly, there were times when I would come home from work knowing I was going to smoke DMT, and I, I could sense that something's waiting for me. I could sense it. And, you know, you're in the garden, you take your three pulls and you lay back and for sure it, it's it's there. It's just manifested so quick. And and even now, I mean, you know, I, I've started my, my research again just recently and you get that feeling. You think something knows I'm going to smoke DMT. And yeah, and other times you don't get that feeling and you smoke DMT and it's, it's I don't want to say disappointing, but... You know, it's like um, there was nothing there or the thing that manifested seemed to manifest just a little bit too late to make a real good experience. So I think they're interesting questions, you know. You know, dose is a factor, but I think if you're smoking it frequently, I think think you've probably got the attention of one or more entities within that hidden realm and maybe they keep an eye on you, you know. Let's... Mm. Let's go and see Dick Carr. Maybe he's going to smoke that DMT and we can <laughs> impose upon him and uh, enjoy ourselves. <laughs> Would you describe it as addictive? Oh, Rick, hats off to you for asking all the very best questions. I would not say it, it's addictive at all, but I think, 
you know, like if you do parachuting, you get that adrenaline rush. And I'm, I'm saying that like I've ever jumped out of an airplane with a parachute. I never have. But, you know, all these kind of like uh, adrenaline junkie sports, I think, I think the... I think there's a, an addiction to having that battle between your sort of your quiet spiritual ego and your, your regular, you know, everyday ego. I think I think there's possibly something mm, perversely addictive about that because it, it is by and large terrifying to commit to, and then. The majority of the experiences are beyond wonderful. And as I say, it's such a paradox. You know, if if it was your mind alone, you wouldn't hesitate to go back again and again and again. But the truth is, I think your subconscious mind realises that that's not your mind on under its own steam. Something powerful is dictating the terms of the experience. And I think deep down, we know that. And that's why it's it's disconcerting to go back to without having some degree of terror or fear or anxiety mm. i mean mm. based on what you described i can see the appeal in wanting mm. to get back there mm. i mean i um it's saturday today i it was yesterday i i smoked yesterday i've got this i've changed from a bottle pipe to a vape device vaporizer and i am loving it it's incredible mm. and i took three big hits yesterday in the lounge at 10 to 10 to 12 noontime and i mean this energy manifested which is evidence of of the entity and it it's it's energy was just so prodigious i just wanted to run i wanted to run in the kitchen and i was giving real thought to just bolting from the sofa and running into the kitchen which would have ended the experience but with within I don't know, a second, half a second, too late. The experience was on me and it was amazing. It was wonderful. But yeah, wow. <laughs> hmm. um, so with these experiences and the entities that you encountered, hmm. do you get the sense that they're the same? Well, I guess, I mean, going back to what you were talking about, you, these are sort of like avatars of a, of a discarnate entity, but do you feel like it's the same thing that you're encountering or are the beings that you're encountering so different that there, there may as well be separate aspects of that discarnate entity? I think, um, I suspect there are different classes of entity within hidden nature. There seems to be a, a class that species, I suppose you could almost say that, that, seems to be the most common experienced and i i don't know i i came to call them occult masters only because they they just seem to have a a profound if not complete i would say complete working knowledge of human psyche human mm. physiology they seem they are powerful uh seem wise intelligent even compassionate but then I had, out of hundreds of experiences, I had three that were with qualitatively very different entities. I mean, one of them, I didn't doubt it could could snuff my life out. It, it could have just, it could have pushed my soul out from my, you know, physical vehicle, no problem. 
I was nothing to it. Uh, another one, yeah, I, I, it kind of like tricked me into smoking DMT one foggy Saturday and uh, did something in my head. And, and then I had a very dark three hours after that because uh, I felt I'd been not, you can't say, but psychically raped or mugged, psychically mugged. Hmm. And yeah, I had uh, a couple like that. And then I've had experiences where, I've I've thought the entity that's interacting with me that's manifested in the garden. I, I thought, wow, this seems quite like naive, and I've I've gone and swept my hand through its um, uber crystal clear body of mind, and the density of its body, so to speak, its body of mind, evident by the the multitude of tracer trails left behind my sweeping hand. I've been aghast. A, a and you know what? Let, I'll give another example, because I think it's it's the experiences are where the real interest is. So uh, I smoked it one day in the garden, and I got sunglasses on only because my eyes were sensitive to the brightness of the blue sky. And this entity manifested above me and, uh, you know, I can feel its power. But I start to fiddle about with my glasses and I kind of probably wasn't taking that experience as seriously as it deserved. And within seconds, something else manifested. And the best way I can describe it is, you know, like um, in a car, you get the airbags and they, when when a car like, hit something the airbag explodes really quickly mm. well it, it was like that beneath my backside it was like three sudden like explosions it was like it's like i was literally getting my bum smacked for being disrespectful <laughs> and honestly it was it was so shocking and i thought wow it's like it's like maybe this entity's mum's come to like <laughs> reprimand and i'm not saying it is a mother-son relationship with entities but I, I had been disrespectful and, and I, I quite literally got my bum spanked. You know, it sounds bizarre, I know, but I'm, you know, I've committed to writing and researching on a ticket of honesty and then I'll, I'll maintain that. And that's genuinely what happened hmm. on that occasion. Hmm. Would you describe your experiences as similar to religious experiences? Mm. Well... I suppose from a personal point of view, my religious experiences were going to church and Sunday school as a child, and I never really liked that. I didn't like the guy stood up in church with a big white frock, sort of preaching about stuff that I didn't really know about, hmm. impinging upon my very valuable playing out time. But in terms of what I've read in, in Bible, holy books, esoteric and occult literature, yeah, absolutely. This is uh, profound, uh, life-changing. It's, I mean, look, you, you can read about the spiritual in, in the holy books and what have you, but to experience the spiritual directly, wow, that, that's mm. a different level. You know, you can have a faith uh, of God, I suppose. You can have a faith in, in, in the other, the phenomena, whatever, but to experience it directly and... You know, I've experienced love that's made me shed tears. I've experienced fright that's made me fear for my life, genuinely fear my life's going to end. But as a consequence of that, when you come out from the experience and you realise you're still alive, you're not just alive, you feel twice alive. You know, it's like that, what is it, uh, 
if you're born again, you know, you, you know, when something's there and it's got your life in the balance. Yeah. And then you realize you're alive. Wow. You're, you're twice alive. And, and one experience of that was smoke it in the bedroom. The entity manifests, imposes its power throughout the room. And I think I hinted earlier about they can sort of operate invasively within you. So they can invest a portion of their body of mind throughout your physiology. And I've had them where they've done that in my thoracic cavity and they've one of them slowly started to make my breathing more slowly more labored and i was home alone nobody was in the house you know and i'm in a daylight i'm in the daylit bedroom i can see the bedroom it's full of this seething energy which i can also see and it's slowly reducing my capacity to breathe and it gets to the point where i've gone beyond wheezing and i'm now generally considering that i'm gonna die this thing's gonna it's gonna kill me hmm. and then i'm i'm about to panic and panicking a human being it is a horrible thing but i'm about to panic and just before i give in to shrieking panic it's gone it, the room is empty it, it's out of my body and i'm like wow oh my god i'm alive and like you know after a few minutes you kind of and that that kind of experience i can see why it would put a lot of people off but i think the proper response is you've got to kind of look upwards and give thumbs up and say you got me real good. And, <laughs> you know, I, I, I've had experiences like that that really maybe ought to have put me off further research, but I found that the next experience you have when you go back, it's wonderful. It's like yeah. it's like you get a reward for going back, you know. It's like, oh, it's you again. You're coming back after that. Okay, it, here's a treat. And, wow, okay, that was wonderful. Yeah, sort of like they're being mm. cruel to be kind in a way. Yeah, I think I think it's sort of test, testing your result because yeah. the experiences change over time. So those are invasive experiences. They did not manifest at the start. The first time I experienced that invasive, uh, and I know it sounds awful, but it's not. But the first time I experienced that invasive experience it, where it was modulating my voice and it, it was doing something within me that made me feel like a puppet. And I, I cried after that because I, you feel so violated in a manner that's so bizarre. And I mean, I went down and uh, I cried upstairs and then I went down and my wife had heard me and she said, you're okay. I said, I'm okay. I wasn't okay. I burst into tears again. And, you know, but you kind of get used to that and it's shown me that the experiences are progressive. Hmm. Do you think that because there are a few theories out there that some religions started with the initiates taking some sort of hallucinatory substance, sort of a shamanic initiation, and, and that's where some of the religions get their, their pantheon of, of gods from or their sense of the, the mystic and the cosmos. Do you think that that's a reasonable suggestion for, for how, how that might have started? I think it's really, yeah, I think it's really, I think it's really good conjecture and I'm, I'm with mm. it, but I don't think it's the whole story. So what I would say is that if you wind the clock back on mankind's, you know, uh, history on this earth, you know, I think there were, there, there, there are, there was a period when we were less material and mm. more spiritual 
And I think, you know, the esoteric and occult doctrines attest to there being uh, periods where mankind had um, untrammeled access between this world and the spirit world. You know, I, th I think it was there. I mean, I'm going back millions and millions of years. I think it was there, but I think slowly as we've lessened in spirituality and increased in materiality, and again, I'm talking over eons, uh, I, I think that that access to the spiritual has, has diminished and dwindled. And, and you know, we, we mentioned dreams earlier. I think dreams are one of the, the best examples of uh, us retaining that connection to the spiritual. And, yeah, I think, you know, I think back in those days, mankind was able to intuit uh, his environment just by by looking at it. You know, it, it wouldn't have been how we are now, but it could intuit the the hidden spiritual characteristics of, of plants and in, intuit all different kinds of things from his environment. And I think, you know, when, when you look at esoteric and occult lore and there's the table of correspondences, I mean, where, where did that come from? It must be archaic. How did they establish those correspondences? And I think there probably has been a knowledge that certain plants will continue to facilitate these spiritual uh experiences e even when we don't we can't have those spiritual experiences naturally i mean with ayahuasca it fascinates me that there are tens of thousands of different plants yet you need the bark from one tree and the leaves from another tree to create ayahuasca you know make the dmt orally active now there are billions of permutations between plants how on earth did they manage to get those two together? And some people have said, you know, I went to a talk and um, Dennis McKenna even said, he said it, it must have been by trial and error. And look, I, I, I'm not calling um, Dennis. I mean, you know, I, the guy's up there, you know. But I personally, for me, I, I struggle with that. You know, there are billions of permutations and by trial and error, they found out that this back and this leaf cooked over hours will facilitate the most amazing experience with 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 hidden nature i i struggle to buy that i think there's probably i think there has been a a long long connection and knowledge of of certain plants which must go back i don't know into the mists of time yeah i definitely I'm really interested in the concept of ideas. I think we take the, I think we take the, that, uh, that, that idea, <laughs> the idea of ideas, mm. a little for granted the, the power of ideas and what they are. Because mm. in some ways, I think ideas are almost entities in themselves. That the power, mm. the, the power they have to manifest in in the material world is is staggering in certain cases. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, I reading your book um, and the experiences you had, some of the entities that you met, it did remind me of sort of the description of, of pagan gods and how they would interact with mortals. They, mm. they seem to be in very much in their own realm and, but they were interested sometimes jealous of man because it's as though mankind has agency, mankind can do stuff and gods are powerful, but they don't have that level of agency. And, and your experiences mm. made me think that in the West for a long time, we did have that culture of engaging with the spiritual world. And then with the enlightenment, that sort of died away. And, and that culture 
lessened to a great extent and we live pretty much in a materialist culture now there there are thousands of people who are interested in, in these kinds of things but but i imagine that anytime someone like yourself takes dmt and has your experience it must be in a way they must these entities must be quite excited because it means that there's <laughs> there's someone from the mortal realm has come to visit and they yeah. can sort of interact with you and did you get that sense at all I guess I did because before I'd smoked DMT, you know, as I said, I was doing lots and lots of research and I watched, um, it's like an old, it wasn't black and white, but it's like color video of, of, uh, the tribes people in the Amazon. It was a very mm. grainy video and they were saying, you know, they drink this ayahuasca, you know, it's translated, drink this ayahuasca and it puts them in touch with the spirits of the forest. And at the time I was like, yeah right you know what 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 is that and yeah you know clearly it was putting them in touch with spirits of the forest or spirits from hidden nature and i think now that baton is passing from those tribes people in the amazon to to the west you know that there's a an ayahuasca industry with ayahuasca tourism but now there are there are people in the West, setting up their own ayahuasca retreats. And I feel that that baton is slowly being passed from these archaic tribes people to the West. And yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I suppose from the entity's perspective, it must be remarkable that, you know, that the West is waking up to these spiritual realities. And, you know, I know, I know there are... There are, I know there are some scientists out there that still sort of poo-poo these experiences and, and try to explain them away with whatever sort of scientific terminology they choose. But, you know, I think try it, try it and try it and try it and then 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 see what you think. You know, it's, it's all right saying, oh, it's just hallucinations. Well, you know, why does it look more real than real life? Why are people consistently saying that? And I think there's a science behind that. I think I think there's a, a logical way to explain that. But you're dealing with a science of the immeasurable. You know, there's no test tubes. There's no, you know, spectrograph. There's, there's none of that fancy equipment. But there is a science there that's... It, it, it's, it's open field. You know, we're, we're at a data collection stage and... I'm really, I mean, look, I'm really enjoying being Dick Khan. I mean, you know, I've, I've got two lives. I've got my life at work and my family life, and I've got a great marriage and two great kids, but I'm just sort of loving this underground research and, and trying to get some bones for that science together in some skeletal form. Mm. Yeah, it, it sounds very fulfilling, and I, I, I do know what you mean, to, I mean, to a much lesser extent, but engaging with an interest is is very rewarding you, you get back what you give don't you and i imagine it's it's just the same with what you're doing i mean i i know from setting up a podcast and you know talking to people who have shared interests it just that act alone you start to feel more part of a community and you feel more engaged with the ideas that you're talking about it allows you to sort of have a conversation about these ideas and and get your brain ticking over about what it is what's what's the sort of the, the makeup of these of these concepts so so yeah one thing I did want to ask as well, did you get the sense that the entities that you encountered were old? So the, there's there's times I've had experiences with, you know, I call them occult masters in my book. Mm-hmm. And there's times I've had experiences. And what, what does seem to be clear is that some are far more powerful than others. You know, they have, they have um, 
you kind of become familiar with the feel of them. They come with a certain feel, a certain character. You know, you can intuit, okay, that's, that's clearly an occult master. But some of them seem, you know. So let's let's give it by way of example. I, I smoked it in the bedroom and um, there'll be an intrusive noise. You know, it might be that we live next door to um, a primary school so it might be that this entity is interacting with me and all of a sudden you've got like 500 kids running and screaming, yay, playtime. And it seems to spook the entity and it just dashes off. You know, you can feel and you can see the way it's it's absconded, it's departed. You know, it gets spooked or it may be uh, a car door or the letterbox or the telephone or, or I've even had it where I've been in top on top of the landing midway through a... Uh, uh, an interactive experience with an entity and my boys have just rushed through the front door and it's like an explosion of of hallucinatory content and like little yellow minions that were in the experience they're now all upside down and disheveled and you know uh, and then i've had other experiences where i've been outside and i've smoked it and a near neighbor you know he's had two guys on the roof hammering away you know making a noise and I've, I've smoked it and something power, I mean, really powerful has interacted with me and it hasn't given two hoots about that sound. I, I mean, it's just really, really put it on me very powerfully. Yeah, you know, I've, I've had that and, and and outside where, you know, the entity's really powerfully interacting with you and the, the kids run out from school and you think, wow, like maybe saved by the bell, but no, this entity, it's not spooked by that. It's going to put it on you, you know, powerfully. Mm. So... Yeah, uh, and then there was one. So you know, you, you can see you can see things without breaking through. So I mean, I've I've smoked in the garden. You amplify your psycho spiritual substance, and you know I've seen black orb UFOs and I've seen earth lights. But the point I wanted to get to, to answer your question is, I smoked it once, and you know the immediate area fills with my amplified psycho-spiritual substance. And this entity manifests, and let's try and picture it. So my garden's what? About, let's say, let's say 15 feet by 15 feet. And this entity manifests. And it's like, it's like a big, fat grub, so to speak. But it's like, I don't know, let's say, I don't know, 12, 12 feet long, maybe six, seven feet wide. And I can see it, I can see right through it. The reason I can see it is because of the uncommon density of its psycho-spiritual composition. But it's, and I've seen these things before, but this one is unusual. It's exterior, it's gnarled like a tree trunk. I mean, really badly gnarled. And it's just, I can sense it. it's not got any interest or concern for me whatsoever. It's just more or less saying, Look at me. It's, it's almost like it knows what I'm doing with my research. And it's saying, look at me. This should be of interest to you. Just look <laughs> at me. And it's, like, it's like it's got this husk around it that I don't know. I'm Because you ask questions, you think, well, you know, where do they come from? How how long do they live? Do they, hmm. You know, how do they evolve and progress? And this one, it just looked like it was ready to sort of slough that husk like a snake sloughs a skin. I don't hmm. know. I, it's conjecture, but that was a really remarkable sight. You know, it's just like saying, look at me. This should yeah. be of interest to you. Wow. 
Yeah, definitely. It'd be interesting to know how they experience time or if they experience time. I suspect they don't, but I'm only basing that on what I've read that, you know, time is, you know, 3D construct. But I, I don't yeah. know. I, I'm not a theoretical physicist and I'm, you know, I'm, uh, you know, I know my limitations. Yeah, yeah. It's nice to think about, though, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Sometimes I wonder if our reality was created by the creation of time, if you see what I mean. Like time brought it into existence and and other other realms that we go to, like dream realms and, and the way where you've gone to with your DMT experiences is a non-material realm where time is at the very least different and perhaps doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, timeless. I mean... It's put me in mind of one experience that was quite a dark experience. And again, smoked it in the bedroom and we've got this wall clock and, you know, it, it does the regular thing that clocks do. It does this tick tock, tick tock, tick tock. But I had this experience with this entity and it, it changed the appearance of the clock. You know, the clock looked very different to how it usually looks. And the tick had gone. And now it was this tock, tock talk and i tell you what it was so foreboding you know <laughs> that that talk it became doom laden and i honestly i ended up crying because i thought i was never going to see my wife or family again it, it kind of put me in a, a mindset where just the talk talk so it was it was doom laden and i was it was counting down the last few seconds of my life and again when you realise that's not true and you're just coming out, you're in the DMT experience, wow, you feel like twice alive, you know, born again, I think the phrase is. Mm. Yeah. Have you read anything by Whitley Strieber? Yeah, that was um, Communion, wasn't it? Yeah, because he co-wrote a book recently called The Supernatural. Um, and in that, he, he theorises that his experience was was almost like a shamanic experience, but it was one where the entities came to him rather than the other way around where you take the substance and you have that experience. They decided to come to him and, 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 you know, and the abduction experience he had with them examining him and, and violating his body was, was similar to some of the concepts that cultures that have a shamanic aspect to them, that these entities will sort of take some of your flesh and you, you, you're, your being is sort of broken up and then put back together and then you return to the material realm. From your own experiences, can you see how there might be that aspect to it when it comes to people who've reported abduction experiences? Yeah, so as I said, most the vast majority of my experiences have been wonderful and there were three where I said the entity was qualitatively very different. And, you know, when I read the esoteric and occult literature or Gnostic literature, and I'm trying to identify what's interacting with me, you end up reading about the archons, mm. you know, from Gnostic literature. And, you know, I think it was um, I think Gordon Crichton who used to edit the Flying Saucer Review. He, he used to say that, you know, as the UFO enigma, you know, at the heart of it, the archons or the jinn from arabian mythology and i think there's something in that you know i think those three entities that i experienced at different times even though they're imposing a much darker experience on you in some 
difficult to describe way. I feel that they're kind of uh, operating at a higher level than those occult masters. And I think ultimately, in terms of human spiritual development, there's probably going to come a time, I'm talking aeons into the future, there's going to come a time where we have to sort of face those tricky customers, those those deceivers of mankind. We're going to have to face them. And uh, I don't know. I, I, they feel like a gatekeeper to um, higher spiritual advancement. You mm. know, nothing comes easy. So whilst these occult masters are, you know, wise, powerful, compassionate, intelligent, and, and, and you know, playful, but you won't want to fall out with them. I think these archontic beings, you know, <sighs> I think they're a different level and that I, I'm going to put my hands up. Like, I've not had many experiences of those, but I think, you know, I, uh, yeah, scare, scary, scary entities. No, well, I'm I, all, all power to you, man, for in, encountering archons and, and coming back to tell the tale. <laughs> well, I'll, 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 only three. I mean, look, 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 Rick, somebody, somebody said to me uh, a few years ago, they said, the molecule has been kind to you. And I've got to say, I think there's probably some truth in that because I've read some people's accounts and I think, gee, even with my experience, if I'd experienced that, I'd probably never go back to it. But again, I think it comes down to the individual. There's um, there's a, a maxim in one of my favourite uh, occult books and it's about the third eye and karma. And what is it? It says, um, uh, now that which students of occultism ought to know is that the third eye is indissolubly connected with karma. Well, I've kind of rewritten that and taken out, uh, I, I've sort of transposed DMT in, in there with occultism. So it reads, now would read, you know, now that which students of DMT ought to know is that the third eye is indissolubly connected with karma. And I think there's something in that. I think, you know, you're sort of, your karmic balance, whatever it is, and I'm not pretending I know what mine is. You sort of have an intuition as to whether you're sort of operating, you know, good or whether you're cheating other people. And I don't know, I think Molecule has been kind to me and I'm, I'm very glad it has because some accounts, as I say, I've read and I think, gee, I, I would not like that at all. Hmm. And I think, I think, I, I just think that harks back to as well. Some people feel called, you know, they read about DMT or hear about DMT, and I think they feel called, they feel like they're called to it. I think if you're feeling that, then you probably should heed that call. And, you know, uh, yeah, you know, hopefully it's going to come your way sometime. Hmm. So, what's next for you with your DMT research? Ooh, well, as I say, I've just started researching, hopefully for. Uh, a third book. Um, I've, I've actually produced a second book, but you know, I think it was out in September and I've, I've not even got around to marketing it. And the original DMT and my cult mind, you know, I'm a self published author, so there was no editor, but I just considered it was, it was too big and it was too wordy at 200 and I think it was 216,000 words. So I've retired it. The original book is no longer available. But I revised it down to uh, 45,000 words. And that was released in in December. I think I released it day before Christmas. And again, I've not marketed that, but that's that's available. It's uh, just £5.55. You know, I'm not out to make money from this. I just, just want, try and want to cover my costs and get, get a little bit of royalty. 
And then the second book, DMT and My Cult Mind 2, that was released in September. Again, I've just not had the chance to market it. I'm I'm busy family man. This is not mm. my full-time job. But I love I love that book. I think it's I'm going to say it because, you know, people, I, I never blow my own trumpet, but I'm going to say, I think DMT and My Cult Mind 2, for me now, it's probably one of the, the best books out there. I just think it's, it's, it's just, it's some of the experiences are raw. I mean, not every experience I've had has been good and that there's, there's been experiences that have, they've scarred my mental health. I mean, you know, you, you, this is powerful stuff and, um, you know, I know I've, I have, I have scarred my mental health. And, and whilst I'm over that, there was a period of experiences that were difficult to get over, very difficult. And they're in the book. Hmm. Well, I really enjoyed the book and uh, I definitely would recommend it to anyone who has listened to this episode. It's a very honest book and I admire that you put a lot of personal experience into it. Well, thank you, Rick. And um, I've just started researching, so hopefully there'll be a, a third instalment, DMT and My Cult Mind 3. That was always the intention, but, you know, there's no guarantee because these experiences, they're just, they're not easy to commit to, but I've made a start and so far, so good. Brilliant. Well, Dick, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Rick, thank you. And uh, kudos for asking such searching questions. Very good. Oh, well, thank you. So if people no. want to find out more about you, how best do they do that? Um, my books are available on Amazon. I'm on Twitter as DMT underscore researcher. I'm on Instagram when I'm not being banned or shadow banned as DMT researcher. And I'm on Facebook as DMT researcher. Brilliant. Well, I'll put all that information in the show notes. All right. Thank you, Rick. Great. Thank you. Thanks. Reading Dick's book. I was impressed with how clearly he was able to describe his experiences, given their nature, and I think that this interview really helped me to appreciate the transformative effect they had on him, and what was happening during those times. I have to admit, I wasn't expecting us to talk about a possible encounter with an Archon, but there you go. I admire the courage needed for these experiments, because although for him it has been a largely positive experience, as he mentioned, that isn't always the case. What's good for one person isn't always for another. I think it's also clear that it's very important to have people around you who know what you're doing and are comfortable with it. This is especially true if you're in a relationship, I imagine. Although Dick didn't really have a trip sitter, that seems like a very sensible precaution. That said, this episode should not be seen as an endorsement of using DMT, which we should remember is a Class A drug here in the UK. It is respectful of those that do, however, and their experiences, which are absolutely fascinating. And I highly recommend Dick's books if you want a further insight into his research and to reach your own conclusions. That's all for now. If you'd like to get in touch with me at SphereHQ, you can email me at someothersphere at gmail.com. And you can find Some Other Sphere on Twitter at spherical underscore pod and on most of the well-known podcast platforms. Until next time. Thank you very much for listening.